Welcome to another episode of Chan with a Plan, the podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan. It's been a while since I did an entrepreneurial style episode. If you want to go back into my library of episodes, the ones that come to mind, if you're interested in starting a business, such as a side hustle to start, I would recommend going back to episode five with Vanessa Zami as she talks about producing a side hustle or episode 10, where you can monetize your expertise in the form of a course to generate additional income. And in this episode, I have invited Nicole and Danny to talk about on finding a profitable product idea to help you generate additional income. So a little bit about Nicole. She joined the international team of Northern Response in 1996 to build and expand their international sales and marketing division. The company now reaches 90 countries worldwide, marketing through omni-channel, including TV, live shopping, retail, duty-free global, and online slash social media. Nicole's brand management and consulting expertise has become renowned for the distribution success of billion-dollar global campaigns. Now let's get into my discussion with Nicole on finding that profitable product idea to help you generate additional income. Hey, Nicole, uh, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about the full product lifecycle from finding the idea to launching the product. And for listeners who are not familiar with your body of work, can you give us a brief detail on why people should listen to you if they want to properly launch their product? Again, thanks for having me. And I uh, am the VP or Vice President of International Sales and Marketing at uh, a CPG company based here in Canada. We're a global company and I joined there in 96. And ever since, we've been fortunate to manage a lot of brands that came to us at different stages of the product lifecycle. Sometimes it was literally an idea scratched out on paper Sometimes it was a prototype. Sometimes it was a failed product launch that we were brought in to revive. And at the end of the journey for each of these brands, we've created multi-million dollar or billion dollar brands that most people would know across the globe. So for that reason, I mean, we've been through the process, the full product life cycle, and I've seen different categories flourish over the years. And I'm here to just maybe shed some light on people's interest in terms of launching product, saving time, saving money, getting around the pitfalls, you know, tried and true. We've been there, we've done it all. And hopefully, you know, the little tips and tricks can give people a shot at success. So speaking of categories, what are some popular categories right now? Like what type of products in different categories are hot right now for like now and for the foreseeable future? You know, this last year and a half with COVID-19 affecting all of our lives, everyone from, you know, the small entrepreneur to the big companies, from retailers to online companies, there's been a big pivot we've all had to make. And, you know, I can say, while I'm also part of the remote working staff that's also um, trying to online school a toddler. Being at home and converting your home into a workspace and a shared space has really opened up an appetite for products that that provide solutions to problems right now that we're facing. And so because we're on lockdown here in Canada and many of the United States have experienced this over the last year and a half, you know, we see a rise in demand for things that are going to make your home environment more comfortable while you're navigating this process. So Things like easy things like laptop stands, phone stands, microphones, lighting for those, you know, lovely Zoom calls and Microsoft team calls. Uh, We see online schooling for kids requiring desks and pop up chairs and again, iPad holders. So anything for the home environment to make that process easier. And I would also say beauty, one of the leading retailers, I won't say their name, but the the buyer that we deal there with in the United States told us one of the leading categories for them on their online site was beauty for both men and women. So as like hair salons have closed 
and service providers for beauty of clothes. People have had to kind of figure out how to do it themselves at home, how to cut their hair, how to line up, how to give them themselves a, a trim on the beard, you know, how to color gray hair. So anything in that category of DIY beauty, there's been a big uptake. And and believe it or not, and I will say the the last trend that took us kind of interestingly off guard was you know, things like board games and puzzles and spending time with family at home that's unconventional and off offline because kids have had so much time spent online with their iPads and their laptops. And I think families are trying to, you know, resort to old school tactics to take the screen time away. And then there's the opposite, gaming. I mean, a lot of people are are, are gaming more. And so whether it's your Xbox or PS4 accessories or a gaming chair, we've seen a huge rise in the demand for stuff like that. I could go on, Max, but I won't. <laughs> a lot of these products you mentioned are, are fairly common. Like, there's a lot of companies that are making these products. So would you recommend an entrepreneur create the same type of product? You know, I always say when something is in the market and successfully selling, it's proof of market. It is selling. And so if you can capture just a piece of that pie by having just a unique spin or a twist on those types of things, then you can make a good living for yourself. And it really depends on what you, you want to do in terms of the type of product and your vision and your mission and you know all the things you want to build into what you want to put out there. But just because something's out there in a big way doesn't mean that you can't get a piece of a slice of that pie. So an example would be laptop stands. So you're saying that as long as I make a laptop stand a bit better than what's currently in the market, you can grow it in a way that you can make a good living from it. Absolutely. I mean, Elon Musk said all great companies have been built on great products. And really and truly, a lot of the, the products that are out there are, are either great demonstrable items that are exciting to watch in action as they're being shown to you, or they're just simply products that provide a solution. So in your everyday life, you come across issues and then you, what do you do? You go on Google, you go on Amazon and you look for products to fill that gap or, or serve a solution. And so, you know, putting your own spin on that in terms of a color, a style, even the materials, locally sourced versus overseas, whatever you can do to put a spin on it will make it your own and ultimately give you a slice of that pie. So you shouldn't be afraid to go out into the market when you see something overwhelmingly out there. As long as you differentiate, you have a USP, like a unique selling proposition, then it gives you a little bit of an edge. And so we do see a lot of mompreneurs. We see a lot of young entrepreneurs and they're doing just that. They're looking at what's selling and they are not necessarily copying and pasting, but they're drawing inspiration from that and just making it their own. So speaking of that, in terms of research, how do you find the right type of product that you should go after and invest in to build it and then market it and sell it? So that, that is a good question because at the end of the day, you know, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail, as Benjamin Franklin would say, and a goal without a plan is just a wish. And so as you start this journey to look for product, you kind of have to figure out if it's something that you already know you want to pursue because it's something you thought of, created yourself, or looking to the marketplace for products that ultimately will become brands. Brands then lead to attracting customers. And that's ultimately what we want. We want to have a good customer journey and, and experience. And so if you look to the marketplace, how to find good product, there's a lot of tools out there. And so things like Amazon, Helium 10, Jungle Scout, Shopify, Trend Hunter, even the fundraising sites like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, they have a lot of good ideas on there. And so it's good to kind of surf the net and see what's on the marketplace and available, what's trending, 
I think we know if we're looking for something for ourselves, we can go on Amazon and search for the product we might be looking for. And as a consumer, we say to ourselves, okay, this particular product has thousands of 4.5 star reviews. And maybe you gravitate towards that product. But then when you actually look at the product further, or you even get the product home yourself, you might want to innovate on it. You might want to say, wow, I wish this product had this particular feature. I wish it came in this color. I wish it came in this size, or it was portable or smaller footprint that could fit in the corner of your home. And so just in being a regular consumer yourself, you can innovate and create a version of a product for sale that's probably something you should get behind. And then in this process of research and looking for ideas from trending sites, you kind of have to ask yourself the question about, you know, does it have mass appeal? Does this product you want to get behind, is there going to be an audience that you can then sell to? And sometimes that's a bit of perspective. I don't know if you've heard the bad uh, shoe story, but there's a timeless story about a shoe salesman and they sent him to Africa to launch their new product range of shoes. And he was excited to be chosen for this promotion, but within about a week of arrival in Africa, he called back to the office and he said, you know, he was really dejected and disheartened. And he said he wanted to go home. And he told his boss that the trip to Africa was a complete waste of time and the company's money because no one wears shoes in Africa. So his boss brought him back and he certainly didn't want to have, you know, unhappy staff. But then he decided, this boss, to give another salesman a try um, from his office. And, and that person flew down. And within the week, this second shoe salesman was on the phone reporting back to the office with excitement, like barely able to contain his excitement, to send every possible shoe down to Africa because no one wears shoes in Africa. So it's the perspective, it's blue ocean. Do you see that there's an opportunity or, or a, a culture change? And the moral of the story is that we can all choose how we look at things in life. Some of us get bogged down by problems and obstacles, but if you really look at the opportunity there, if your product solves a problem or there's a trend or a cool factor, if it's demonstrable, if it's old gold, something that was selling before somewhere else, that you could make your own, it shows proof of market. And so at the end of the day, um, as Jeff Bezos says, your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. So it's researching, it's putting things together, developing what you think might be a unique selling proposition or a tagline or a slogan or an elevator pitch and really injecting your core values and personality and positioning to make the product come to light. And there's lots of ways to, to research online. There's so many tools nowadays, some of them that I mentioned earlier, to be able to dig in and really find products that are already selling in the marketplace that you could just cultivate for your own. That makes sense, right? Because like for me, I'm a resume writer and there's obviously tons of resume writers on LinkedIn, but I still get business. So it's one of those things that the fact that there's so many resume writers out there on LinkedIn, it shows that in terms of proof of concept that there is a demand for it. I just have to build my brand so I get a piece of the pie or get more of the piece of the pie as I grow the brand, right? Absolutely. And I think the thing is, is, you know, fundamentals don't change. If you look at the P's of marketing, there's five. And if you come back to sort of the foundation of that. You can put any product idea into this sort of formula and say to yourself, okay, let's look at these five P's and see how I can change one of them and really impact what's being offered out there. So the very first P is product. And so of course you have an idea or you're looking for an idea that's a multi-million dollar idea. So it starts with product, good quality product. And then you look at pricing, you know, not just setting it, but how that price impacts profit margins and if you're competitive. So price is the second one. The third one is placement. After all, just like with real estate, it's all about location, location, location. Finding the right home or the channel of distribution 
that's best suited for your product that will attract your target customers. So some product is better sold online. Some product actually sells better offline in a physical retail store. Some on live shopping. So placement is kind of a, a critical part of that. And then the fourth one is promotion. Once you have a product and a price point and an idea of where your product needs to live, it's time to think about how you're going to advertise and whether it's PR, social media, how to best market your idea. You know, I've had the pleasure over a number of decades now in our industry uh, to work with some, some solid celebrities. And Billy Mays used to say this all the time, life's a pitch and then you buy. And that's the thing. Many things just could be regular products that once you inject a little creativity in marketing, a video on social media, it really drives the demand for that product. So don't underestimate the power of promotion. And then I think the last P is people. And people often think that that last P is just about the customer that you're selling to. But it's not just about the customer. If you're an entrepreneur and you're looking to really create a, a product, ultimately a brand and a company, you have to look at your personal tribe, who's around you, the people that are involved in your life. You know, are they going to give you feedback about things that are good takeaways to help you improve your product? You know, vendors you deal with, staff you might hire over the years, mentors and advisors and all the people that cross your path in the supply chain. You know, the assets of most businesses are actually the people. So if you think about the product, the price, the placement, the promotion and the people, and if you can just tweak or impact one of those P's in your product offering, I tell you it makes a huge difference in a campaign being successful or not. And so that's where I think people need to think is, you know, does my product solve a problem or is it a cool factor or is it a good demonstrable item? Is it a trending item? And as Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind. Just align yourself with everything that you want to present about that product and put it through the, the P's. And literally check off the boxes and see if you can change one of them and make it your own. Hopefully that all makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That's marketing fundamentals 101 that you provide, Nicole. And mm -hmm. speaking of going through the five P's, another P would be planning, right? So how much planning should one do before they decide to build a prototype? Because there are people that you know, the analysis paralysis or that perfectionism where they really want to make the product perfect before they, or really want to plan it perfectly before they start making the prototype. So how much planning should someone make before it's too much and they should start executing? Well, I always tell people, I know it sounds really, you know, simplistic, but again, failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. And so as you start this journey, it's never a single event or activity in, in terms of planning. Yeah and mapping things out, it's always going to be a series of events and an ongoing process. Time management is key. And, you know, the key to is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but literally to schedule your priorities and have a bias for action. Take these to-do list items or big goals and break them down into little steps. And if, if anybody has never, you know, read the book, The Secret or, or looked at any of the paraphernalia, they should. Because I do think it's part of, for all of us in the industry, we're storytellers, product storytellers, and it starts there. And so you almost have to have a vision board or an area in your space that's dedicated to this mission of taking mind to market this product idea that you have so that ultimately you keep focused on spending the time you have up front to save you time and money later. And so you kind of have to play to your strengths and develop a roadmap for this product. And basically it's a to-do list. There are a lot of free tools and software that you can access online like Asana or Monday or product plan that help you formalize that process. But really digging into your calendar and scheduling time to look into free tools, free services, programs, mentor programs like you had mentioned earlier, Futurepreneur, that match you with mentors, 
even offer funding, et cetera. All of these things are part of the planning up front. And I think people have to get in their brains as well that we're in a different time. Mine to market in 120 days was pre-COVID. The whole supply chain right now, end to end, has been seriously affected with delays. So manufacturing lead times, typically, let's say out of Europe or Asia, could have been four to six weeks. Now, you know, in the height of, of what we've had to deal with in a the pandemic, they've tripled. Things like ocean or air shipments to bring your product over to North America or export your product, not available or on regular schedules. And containers, a container to bring over of product used to cost $2,500 on average. Those same containers, a 20-foot or a 40-foot, are now $10,000. And the reason I'm bringing these things up is in this process of planning, these are things we could not have banked on, could not foresee, didn't have a magic ball for. So whether you're looking at manufacturing lead time delays or transportation delays or transportation costs, delays at the border, clearing your product, new duties and tariffs and taxes, driving up product costs, all of these things have affected the timelines. And so what could have been 120 days before, now you're looking at about six to 12 months and every single aspect of that supply chain has been affected. So now your product can hit the shelves, whether offline or digitally, in the same time that you would have hoped. So launching is a little bit of an art and a science. And researching in terms of everything we talked about, what trumps that is what's happening in the marketplace. And you have to kind of stay on trend. And you have to read the news and you've got to see what's happening with import and export and what countries are slowing down. I mean, if you look at vaccinations right now, that's a product in and of itself. And we can see that some countries are much further ahead than others. And so I do think it's important to bake in extra time in that planning process for unforeseen situations like right now, because it will affect your product launch. And going back to the funding, how much should one invest in terms of building the prototype? And to add to that, how much should they create in the first iteration or first launch of the product? So I think the thing is, is, uh, you know, different stages of the product life cycle. It's important. And I do want to go on record to say it's, it's important to protect your ideas and prototyping. It is an important part of the process. It is another P part of the product, but it will help you understand your customer or your user experience. It's a much different situation than just a sketch on a piece of paper or, you know, a, a CAD drawing. It's, it's a chance to really have a physical product to test and try. It's a chance to identify flaws and remedy them and ultimately improve your final design. So I always encourage people to build into a small budget wherever it's possible, you know, instead of maybe splurging on Starbucks every so often, put it in a jar, start putting money aside for the things that matter the most, because things like IP protection and a prototype, it's probably a good idea for you to try to build a fund for that in and over above other resources for funding. There are always angel investors and shark tanks and dragon's dens and fundraising sites. And so funding is actually less of a problem sometimes. Having your product roadmap built in a prototype can unlock funding. So it is important to think about it that way. And a prototype can also spark other invention ideas. I knew an inventor once that had a product that had a remote control built into the product. And she hadn't even thought until she received her prototype that, wow, we're in a day and age where it would be great to also have an app that ties into your, your mobile device. And so it was that particular tweak that came along the way in her process of looking at her own prototype. And so prototypes also facilitate market research, you know, sending out prototype samples for manufacturing costs or potential buyers 
gives you an opportunity to get a real reaction from people and understand your target audience. And, you know, it's important to be receptive to, to feedback in that process so that you can ultimately improve your game, bring your A game with your product. And online patent searches, you can do that yourself. It's free of charge. Google patents, you can see if your idea already exists, what the statement of claim might be in a patent that already exists, if you're infringing. Those are things in this sort of early stages that are important to do because if you go down the road and there is a major company that already has a patent on that product, you should know it up front to save yourself some time and some money and a lawsuit potentially. And these are things that are free that you can research yourself. And so just on the prototype front, again, maybe help feel helpful to enlist an uh, intellectual property lawyer, pool your network of people, see who might be able to help you out. Patent attorneys can help you learn about regulations really important liability issues and even connect you with potential investors. And then I would say this in this process of prototyping and protecting your, your IP, you know, there are standard NDAs online, non-disclosure agreements that people should share with anybody collaborating on your idea or evaluating your idea, whether it's a virtual prototype or an actual prototype, you want to make sure you're engaging an NDA with people so that, you know, ultimately long, along the way, they don't steal your idea. That's the common reality. And there are inexpensive ways to get prototypes done, particularly now with 3D printers and technology. So I would say, again, just to take a step back, prototyping is important part of the process. There are companies like InventRite and InventHelp and Northern Response and others that are in an industry that can help facilitate or connect you with all those people. But everything is Google searchable now. You'd be surprised how many resources are online and how many angel investors want to invest in this process and how many sites are available, again, Indiegogo, Kickstarter, et cetera, that are, are you know, funding capital raising sites. So I think if you get your ducks in a row on a good product and you protect your IP to some extent on your own and you can manage to get a prototype, then the rest falls into place if you align yourself with the right people. So you said everything's searchable. So if I wanted, because I'm not an engineer, I, I can't build anything. So if I have an idea, I could Google 3D printers that create prototypes or vendors that create prototypes on Google, I would be able to find some sort of companies that would be able to help me with that. Absolutely. And I do think, you know, what I had mentioned earlier about playing to your own strengths, none of us can check every box in the process. It's important to look at your tribe of people and network with friends or connections, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, whomever you have connections with, because they then know companies and service providers that can help with that. And I also think in your process of, you know, researching your own product, looking at the you know the competition that's out there seeing who's doing things right you know companies that you might follow brands you might follow products that you might like or share on social you can see if you look into their stories and their web pages who might have funded them you know how they came to be if they used a company or a service for prototyping, there are a lot of companies that can provide that service. And I do think, again, it's about research and, and everything is available online, luckily at this stage of life, that can connect you with the right people to handle those types of costs. That makes sense. And you, you have the prototype and I'm assuming you have like a customer focus group to see if they would like the prototype if it was created for the like in-market use, right? Yeah. And I think too, and it, it comes, this whole process of research up front, everything that's part of a product, including prototyping, you know, it can be run past customers in a focus group very inexpensively. And it is important to look at the totality of what your offer is. So not just a prototype, but going back to what your, you know, Jeff Bezos says, your brand is what other people say about you. 
when you're not in the room. And so what does that mean? What does your product offer? What does your product do? What does your product solve? Do you have a tagline or a slogan of how you would describe your product to the world? You know, Ron Popeil used to say, set it and forget it. Proactive acne skincare systems is get clear skin that stays clear. Muhammad Ali's slogan that was taken over by Adidas was impossible is nothing. You have to sort of keep yourself focused on the product and what value you were going to bring to a customer. And that should capture your core values, your personality, your positioning down to the product name. I mean, these things are, they can make or break a launch. If a product is too difficult or it's too hard, the magic doesn't travel, you know, across borders, gets lost in translation. So you have to dig deep and look at your origin story and how the product has come about or what about it appealed to you or how you created the idea, why you developed it. These things actually matter because they help you stay grounded and focused on what your unique selling proposition is and why your product should go to market. And researching is important. And so we do a lot of survey monkeying. Um, we use survey monkey and other types of survey tools that are inexpensive. So a couple hundred dollars, you may be able to reach out to a thousand people in the United States and test market packaging or product names or concept or prototyping. And this is all online and digital and easy and fairly inexpensive compared to what you might pay for later with a major mistake. And I'll give you an example. Kim Kardashian has a very successful line of shape where it's called Skims, which is kind of an interesting play on words given her name. But yeah, it's called Skims. But the original name was Kimono. And Kimono, I believe, as she went out and she went forward with her big production of likely hundreds of thousands of units of the first production run, she didn't realize the impact that Kimono would make on the world as she released the launch of it. It became hugely controversial with the Japanese communities globally because traditional Kimono is not worn as an undergarment. And there's a lot of cultural nuances with that. So as there was so much backlash, she did the right thing by changing the name to Skims, addressing it with the public, but she had to go back to her initial production run of samples and product to remove the original kimono name that was sewn in and then replace that with the new name Skims. So the moral of the story is, and that must have been costly, and it also was a PR nightmare, but she did the right thing to correct it. So to avoid cultural nuances or major expenses down the road, the best thing to do is like research as much as you can. Again, that Attorney that I mentioned in terms of looking into trademarks or IP protection, Google searching yourself, looking at names and, and who's got them registered and what the implications might be. But ultimately, SurveyMonkey, things like those tools, had Kim's team just run that through a SurveyMonkey, I'm sure a pool of people would have come back and raised that issue with her and she would have not had the same expense down the road. And so I think there are a lot of tools in the toolbox that people can use to test market. And, and that's the biggest thing is to, you might want to think global, but you do have to act local. And the most important thing is testing where you can and, and ironing out the kinks in your campaign because technology right now is your friend. There's a lot of stuff online to use. So I encourage people to, Test market where you can through through the survey monkeying and get all the feedback and don't get too defensive about people telling you things. Make a note. Understand that this is part of the process of making your product even better and saving yourself time and money and lawsuits down the road. So speaking of test market, which goes back to uh, my previous question in terms of like how 
how much quantity of products should you create for a test product or go the other way? I know like in Indiegogo or Kickstarter, they won't make the product until they see the demand. So if the goal is to raise $500,000 to have X amount of product, they would rather do that before they make the product. So which way is the better way to uh, do an initial launch? It's a chicken and egg because it does depend on the category of the product. I think when you know you get into widgets and gadgets and one-time buy type products, you can negotiate with vendors or manufacturers or suppliers, depending on, on where you're getting your quotes from, whether it's Asia, whether it's local in the US or Canada, whether it's in Europe, you can negotiate test order quantities. And that's what we do. We might say, okay, we pay a slightly higher price to bring in a couple hundred units of product. And again, it's hard to paint every product category with one brush because your product I might be selling for $200, whereas another product might be selling for 20. So it's about how much money you really need to get a couple hundred units to test. And testing is important. And part of that is the launch process. Again, making sure that you're able to put a small quantity of product into a channel of distribution to get feedback on sell-through and demand. And so if there's a way to get a couple hundred units, that's great. A lot of manufacturers and suppliers will want you to buy three to 5,000 pieces to get started. But, you know, we're in, in changing times and it's really about tapping your network and, and the right distributors and, and the right companies that already have these relationships. And so don't recreate what's already been done successfully by many companies. Partner up with someone who can handle distribution for you, at least on an initial production run, and see if they can help you navigate the process of testing testing the market, seeing what the feedback is. Is there demand for your brand? Are you priced appropriately? Are you competitive? Are you offering a nuance with your product? Are you just, you know, capitalizing off of a, a trend? And so once you get some testing done, it could be on online, it could be in a pop-up shop, it could be in a small retailer in your neighborhood, it could be your own landing page. I think the biggest thing is to test, test, test and get that information so that as you scale the business, you know, you can mitigate your risk financially. And yes, some sites are great for raising capital and then, you know, rolling out with the manufacturing process. But there's a lot of distributors in North America that are willing to take a chance on your brand. It's like the Shark Tanks and Dragon Dens. We're all companies out there looking for inventors, looking for, for good product and, you know, putting that through our process. And so there's no shortage of those available. And this way you're not out of pocket yourself. So hopefully that kind of gives people hope that there's opportunity out there. Going back to what you said in terms of having like the foundation set, for example, hiring an attorney to give you some uh, intellectual property protection or getting a uh, distribution partner to help you with distribution. What are some key people, key experts that you should work with and collaborate with during the setup of your product slash business? Well, again, I think, and it comes back to this, I know it sounds, you know, simplistic, but putting up your vision board and just starting with yourself first, knowing what skills you have, what time you have, what you can learn yourself. Sarah Blakely of Spanx, she's the founder and multi, multi, multi-millions there. She's a big believer in doing a lot of things from start to finish yourself, researching yourself, looking at things online and Google searching and finding, you know, industries and, and trade shows and conferences and conventions where your product might fit into a category. And I'll give you an example. So the International Housewares Association. It's a trade show that's held in Chicago every year. Every major brand from Braun to Philips and KitchenAid. I mean, anybody who's anything in the housewares industry or housewares adjacent is involved in that particular show. As an as a entrepreneur, if you have a housewares product, it's good to navigate that site and look at who has the trade show booths, 
who the brands are, you know, who the inventors are and what companies they're dealing with and what distributors they're dealing with. And really tapping into that network, getting onto LinkedIn, joining those organizations, seeing who's putting posts up that resonate with you. And so I think there's a certain amount of that that you can do yourself. And that's what you need to list down on your to-do list or your board is what you're going to tackle yourself. Then look for the gaps and the holes. So the second thing is an attorney. It could be a trademark attorney. It could be a patent attorney. It could just be a lawyer that you know in your circle that you could run questions past. I mean, there's lots of free legal aid here and there, lots of Google searchable, country-specific information online, specific to Canada, specific to U.S., specific to Japan, etc. And so I think that having a lawyer at close hand, especially in your network of friends, can help solve problems quickly. Sometimes it's just a quick ask. And then I think you have to look at money and monitoring your money. And so whether it's a software program like QuickBooks or just a simple spreadsheet, you have to monitor and track the money you're spending on this project because it's very, very easy to overspend. And you need to look at when things do get much better along the way, if you are dealing with distribution companies You want to get a return on your investment. You want to know how much you're spending. And does your product even have margin for anything? What is your cost of goods that you're roughly getting quoted for test order quantities and larger orders? And what is your selling price, your suggested retail price to a customer? And is there like a four to five or six times markup structure in there? That's important because if you don't have margin, You'll never be profitable. You won't be able to afford the other P's like the promotion and the placement and the listing fees and the, you know, fulfillment by Amazon fees. So you really need to have margin in your product. And so whether it's an accountant that, again, is a friend in your network or a software system, that's something that has to be in place. And then I think you just need to look at a trusted group of friends. Everybody has a circle of their go-to and looking at what their strengths are. Some people are more creative than others. And really explaining your story. And not everyone might champion your idea, but they're all part of the learning process. They're like a customer marketing target group in and of itself. If you think of your own household, you think of parents or grandparents or friends or you know people you can have a conversation with about running an idea past them in a general way and getting that research and feedback. So in terms of the people in your tribe and the assets of having that on hand, you you definitely need to have a strong look at yourself and what you can do. Take the necessary webinars that might be available online or free services or free Google searchable information. Join groups on LinkedIn or Facebook relative to the category of your product and what your product offers. Follow people, influencers that you like, that you admire, that you aspire to be. Maybe they have a brand that you know you love and you would love to be like them. See what they're doing, what the frequency of their posts are, what the nature of their products are, who's promoting and advertising. This is all about collecting and putting it on that board and segmenting it into what you can do and what you will eventually have to outsource. But don't underestimate the power of your own tribe and the network. You know, a lot of business is just relationships, 80% relationships. It's the relationship you have with your product, you have with your customer, and you have with all the people in the supply chain. And so for me, networking, tapping your network, and really just rolling up your sleeves and looking online as to what you can tap into for information be a sponge, learn from others, you know, no idea. I know we want to think about that as being true, but technically 99% of ideas are not original. Everything has had an origin story and either got innovated or repurposed. So you really have to look around and, and look at your competitors in, in the marketplace, look at the pros and cons of what they offer and how you differentiate and really stick with, again, 
what your story, your mission, your tagline, your slogan, what you want to achieve. Because at the end of that journey, once you acquire a customer, and that's what your goal is, acquire customers and retain them. Maybe your product is not just a one-of product. Maybe you then develop it into a brand, you develop it into line extensions, and then you resell to your customer. So you should always be customer-centric at the end of the day. But I think it's about looking at yourself and looking at your network and really just staying focused on what the prize is at the end of the day and who can help you along the way. Speaking of margins, what would be a good price point when you list your product? So you to ensure that you do make a healthy margin, because as you know, Shark Tank, Dragons, then they ask for revenue, but they also want to ask what the margin is on the product. And sometimes the cost of goods is too high and they're not making enough margin. So I know this might be something down the road, but what's a principle or a guideline that entrepreneur making a product should incorporate when it comes to pricing out a product that gives them a healthy margin for to help them be uh, sustainable? Again, and it depends on the, the category. I mean, we would all love to say we want a 10 times markup. So on a product that sells for $100, you want a $10, you know, cost of goods type or type of situation. But the reality is, you know, it, that's not always feasible. If you can get a four to five times markup, then absolutely it's desirable. But that's not always the case. When you get into things that plug in, products that are corded, that have electricity to run them, or you, you get into skincare and very specific niche type categories, there's higher cost on raw materials or technology or science. And so those are categories that don't enjoy the same type of margin necessarily. I think you just have to look at it in terms of, you know, your, your product marketability. So again, if you look at your competition and you're within reason and you work it backwards and divide it by four or five, that's where your costs should be because there's so many things along the way to factor in, not just currency exchange rates, you know, but also, again, these increased duties, depending on the type of product you have and having enough margin to run your business, fixed overhead, uh, variable overhead, marketing, promotion. When you get into the retail space, that's a different game than online. And so People may not be aware, but retailers have shelf listing fees or programs and, and allowances. If you want to be in a flyer, if you want to be on ad, if you want to geo-target you know, your customers based on where they buy, all these advertising costs add up. So if you can get a four to five times markup, then that's kind of where it would be ideal. Gives you enough margin for error and some profit. But it really does depend on the type of category you're you're into with your product. All right. And let's get to the fun stuff. How do you market your product? There's obviously tons of marketing channels now. There's Google Ads, there's television, there's YouTube, there's social media, email marketing. So how should someone start their marketing of their product? Obviously, I'm assuming that you wouldn't like go all out and all these different channels because we, we all have certain budgets that we have to live with. So what's your recommendation on marketing a product effectively? Well, again, I think it comes back to when you've done your research and you've found companies or brands that you aspire to be and you follow them, you can see where they live. So you can see if they've launched their product on, let's say, live home shopping. Some people come to Canada to test market product here. It's a small market, relatively speaking, compared to the US. So Canada is like the size of the state of California. And so we have a small shopping channel here that may reach about 6 million homes versus the shopping channels in the United States that reach 110 million homes. So again, with the concept of think globally, but act locally, you have to look at smaller spaces to really test your brand and iron out the kinks of your campaign. It could be the video that you might want to shoot or a social media campaign or a PR piece or, you know, what your price, your offer is and, and test it in that channel. And a lot of that comes from researching your competitors or 
Again, companies or brands you aspire to be, follow them. See what they've done. They've obviously done it correctly over time. They've ironed out the kinks and the failures for you. So you might as well copy and paste what someone else is doing in terms of their channel of distribution if it's a product that's similar to yours. So I do think that live shopping is a beast in and of itself. There's a lot of companies that take products to live shopping for you, or you could venture to do it yourself. But it, it's really relegated to products that have a good demonstration, highly demonstrable items where you can show problem solution type situations. Then you've got online and there's a lot of ways to test market. Again, test marketing, the concept could be that done with a survey monkey, but then you look to, you know, other retailers online that are offering testing platforms and looking at the Amazons of the world, creating your own landing page and testing in a small way, looking at Facebook as an opportunity. So there are a lot of online ways to do that, uploading videos to YouTube, looking at influencers, but it really does come back to learning about what products have worked and why, and that's part of your research, and what products have failed because you definitely don't want to rinse and repeat a failure. So in addition to live shopping, you've also got online. There's also retail. That's a lot more complex. And you can start small. You know, you can go to retail shops in your neighborhood if you really want to just put product in a few stores and see how it's selling. Or if you want to go a little bigger and actually approach, you know, retailers through their, their buying team and submit your products. There's always opportunities that the retailers are putting out like open calls. Walmart in the US just did this recently out of their Bentonville office. They put an open call out to all inventors that have USA made product to fast track that through their system for consideration. So there are all these incentive programs in place. It depends on your product. It depends on your margin. And it depends on where you want your product to be. I mean, do you want it to be an online sensation? Then upload the video to TikTok, you know, or Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. If you want this to be an everyday item or a staple brand in a retailer, then look at a retail strategy. If you want this to be a global success, you have to take each country market by market. And so maybe something resonates in Japan and Korea, but it doesn't resonate in Eastern or Western Europe. And so for us, when we look at the launch process, we look at who's doing it right, who's not doing it right, competitors, pros and cons, platforms that these products are best suited for, whether it's mass, whether it's niche. And, and literally testing, testing different channels if you can, because we've been surprised many times that some brands do well online and some brands do, do well at retail. And some, if you're fortunate, do well in every single channel of distribution you put them in. So you do have to test wherever you can, where, whenever you can, as cost-effectively as possible. Selling a good amount of product doesn't necessarily mean it's successful if, if you're marketing it heavily and you're losing a lot of money. So how would an entrepreneur know whether a product is a successful after a certain period of time for them to want to continue like manufacturing the product? So one of the terms that we use in our industry is direct response marketing. And I think that, you know, it's like direct, not direct to consumer, but direct response marketing. So it's measuring the advertising against the orders that you're getting in and, and getting a, a sort of like a return on investment formula. And so back in the day, I mean, you used to drive by big billboards off the highway and you would see brands being advertised, major brands of which I won't call any names, but you know, or you see a multi-million dollar advertisement at halftime during Super Bowl, And so you do wonder sometimes 
have those billboards or those mega expensive ads really move the needle for those brands. And so in our world, we try to be more direct about it. We put up a commercial or an ad and Facebook is a perfect example of this. So you can target as much as you want a demographic audience, or you can just go out to the mass on Facebook and Sometimes it's easier to cast a wider net and see who your actual customer might be. It might be someone you didn't even think about or you least expected. And you spend a conservative amount. So say you test with even $50 or $100 and you have your landing page set up and you do this test. You can see over a period of time if it's given you a lift in any of your sales at all. You can see click-through, you can understand that, hey, if I spend $50 this week, maybe in the next week or two, people have seen the ad and now I'm getting double the orders or triple the orders. And so then you slightly increase your ad spend and see how that's measuring against your sales. So direct response, advertising and return on investment, that's what the infomercial world was built on. And it's Fast forward to everybody utilizing it because you want to measure exactly what you're spending against what you're making. And that's why I was mentioning earlier having a system in place for for your math, for your accounting, keeping track of product costs, sales, and all the things in between and managing those, those spends, the advertising and promotion. You have to monitor that closely because you'll never really know, you know, I recall people telling me they had their brands on Oprah's favorite list or on the Ellen DeGeneres show, and suddenly their Amazon sales went through the roof and they sold out of product. But that wasn't something that they necessarily triggered. It just happened to be, hey, their team of people at the shows happened to stumble across these products and thought they were great products. And so suddenly you become a success overnight. Anything can impact your sales. You can only hope that you send stuff out to, you know, a magazine editor and they feature it and it impacts your sales. But if you're going to spend something, if you're going to spend anything, you have to measure the impact of your sales from that spend and see if it was worth it. So maybe join a few Facebook groups that might be relevant to your product. Do a little bit of target marketing or advertising and see how it impacts. But the bottom line is, you know, you can't manage what you can't measure. And so you need some accounting in place and direct response, advertising and marketing, a lot of information on site, a lot of distributors that, that do that. It's definitely worth looking into understanding the full impact on your brand. That was a mouthful. <laughs> that was a mouthful, but hopefully that sheds some light. I really appreciate you shedding some light on that. And the more detail you can provide my audience who is thinking about starting a product, the better, right? So they can get that. If there's any gaps that they had, hopefully listening to this episode will help fill those gaps so they're able to prepare and execute properly. Absolutely. If we can save people time and money and help them enjoy the process and get to success faster, I mean, that's what we're here for. And speaking of saving time and money, so you have been a mentor at Futurepreneur Canada for quite a few years. So mm-hmm. what are some common mistakes that entrepreneurs make that should be avoided? So I've had the pleasure of of working for Northern for 24 years and counting. And our CEO has been a mentor to me and to many other people in the industry. But as far as Futurepreneur is concerned, yes, it's an organization that, and there are many of them out there that offer mentorship to young entrepreneurs. But some of the things that I think people should focus on, the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make. And everyone makes them, and that's part of the process. It's not failure by any means, but it's important to sort of keep these things in mind. But one of the biggest mistakes is not planning and giving yourself enough time for a product launch. You know, we've seen with the supply chain issues I talked about earlier with COVID, the delays in, in manufacturing and transit or even QC issues, we didn't even talk about quality control that can stumble you along the way and derail you. You have to bake enough time into your process as a buffer to account for things that might go off the rails. So I do think 
one of the biggest mistakes. People jump in and that's great. They don't plan. They don't put, you know, to-do lists together. They don't play to their strengths. They don't roadmap out the process. So not planning is a big mistake. The other thing that I do see quite commonly is not testing the product idea first. So SurveyMonkey can be your friend in the beginning, very inexpensively, your, your tribe of people around you, your network, trusted people. You really have to float these ideas past them first and get the feedback. Thinking globally, but acting locally, again, small scale testing we talked about online or even in a pop-up shop, even at a flea market or a local venue, anywhere you can really help fine tune your product offer and set you up for success. That's this testing process I'm talking about. Many people don't even do that. They just jump really big and then unfortunately have to pay a lot in terms of blood, sweat, tears, and sometimes, you know, lawsuits. And I also think, so not planning, not testing their product. Another big mistake is not listening to customer feedback. Bill Gates once said, your most unhappy customers are your greatest source of learning. And I do think that it's important to read Amazon reviews or online reviews or any product feedback through SurveyMonkey or otherwise that people are telling you about your product. This is your chance to remedy it and improve it and give an excellent, like don't overpromise and underdeliver. Give the best quality product that's going to give the best customer purchase journey so that you attract and retain those customers. We call it the lifetime value of the customer because once you have a customer, you want to keep them for life. You want to keep them coming back to you to buy your product and your brand. So we're always ultimately customer centric and we build our products around that. So you, you have to listen to the customer. You know, my dad always says, the one thing I do know is I don't know. And it's based on Stephen Covey's seek first to understand, then to be understood. It is important to really understand what your customer is telling you and take it to heart because that's the basis of what your product is going to be in terms of innovation, right? And so I think you have to, Oprah Winfrey has a good line, turn your wounds into wisdom. So again, don't overpromise and underdeliver. Your product experience should be as close to perfect as you can possibly deliver. And that's what you want at the end of the day. I mean, again, mistakes are many. I think we just have to not solely rely on what we think we know. We have to look for information, insight, expertise, understand the customer, understand the market, the trends, the timing. And I think if you put that all together and you partner with the right people, there's no doubt at the end of that is a rainbow and hopefully full of success for the product at the end of the day. As, as the saying goes, the best way to speed up your learning curve is to learn from other people's mistakes, right? Yeah, be a student for life and literally learn from other people's mistakes. Don't rinse and repeat them. Fantastic. And I want to end this conversation with one question for you. So this podcast is about helping people overcome challenges and roadblocks, which we have done on the entrepreneurship level in this conversation. So for you, whether it's professional or personal, what has been one big roadblock that you had to overcome and how did you overcome it? I think there's been many roadblocks, to be honest. And this is where, you know, you kind of go off script a bit because we're in an unusual time. And I think when I started, I was a young female of color entering a corporate world with a lot of nuances and challenges. And I'm still what I think I am as a young, <laughs> young at heart anyway, female of color in a different world where I am so happy to see people of all walks of life, all ages, all stages, all pursuing, you know, passions for profit. And so as I journeyed over the years and realized that I might have stood out in the crowd and I was a little bit different than the norm, at least in the corporate world, I didn't let it bring me down. I kind of looked at it like, okay, so what's my own unique selling proposition is that we all have our own experience. We all see 
life through a different lens. And resilience, you know, being able to sort of put yourself together every morning, you know, and say to yourself, I'm going to get up and I'm going to try. I'm going to learn from my mistakes and I'm going to be the best version of myself that I can be. I might be different, you know, I might not fit the norm, but that's why I think people have to think differently during this time, make a pivot, you know, follow a part of yourself that you love and literally put it out there. But overcoming obstacles of culture and ageism and sexism and a corporate world out there. I think everybody has a little bit of that. And during this pandemic with remote working and online schooling and making all these shifts, it always boils back down to just taking a pause for the cause and taking stock of yourself and reminding yourself, you know, what you do well, what you need to work on. And that's all I try to do every day is take everything in stride. If I can't do it all at once, then you try again tomorrow. <laughs> that's, that's as much as I can tell you. Again, it's the Oprah Winfrey line, turn your wounds into wisdom. So I might have some battle scars, but I definitely try every day to just have a takeaway and start fresh again the next day if I have to. Hopefully that all makes sense. Yeah, that's some great insight. And again, really appreciate you spending some time with us to talk about product development and talk about entrepreneurship. So if someone wanted to learn more about what you do, how can people connect with you? They can connect with me personally on LinkedIn. They can connect with us at Northern Response. We're always looking for inventors. You know, we may not take every product, but we could refer people to other companies in our industry that could do the best job for them. But yeah, I would say people can contact Nicola and Danny on LinkedIn or Northern Response. And, and of course, entrepreneurs that need some help or mentorship at Futurepreneur, we're all here to help. All right. Thanks again, Nicole, and enjoy the rest of your year. Thanks again, Max. You take care and have a great one. Thank you again to Nicole and Danny for sharing her insights on how to find a profitable product idea that you can plan, build, and execute in order to generate additional income. One of the main messages that came from a conversation with Nicole is about being resourceful. As she said, Google is your friend. So if you need to find a vendor to help you with your prototype, if you need to do research to see what's hot in the market that you can piggyback off of, Google is a great resource to find that information. And with that being said, there is really no excuse to not start something, at least on the side, to see if you can gain some traction because there's so much information out there to help you get started. And combine being resourceful with building the right relationships you would be astonished by how much you can do with those two things in mind. Again, this is Chan with The Plan, the podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan. If you found this episode useful, I would really appreciate it if you share it with your friends and family to help support the show. I post new episodes every Tuesday on all popular podcast platforms. You can also follow me on LinkedIn, where I post daily content on topics such as job search, career advice, and personal branding. That's it for me, and I'll see you next time.